Amen. Well, my name is Joseph McCormick. I'm one of the pastors here at Deer Creek. I'm going to read the crucifixion account of Jesus from Mark chapter 15. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And when they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And the written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling to Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Pray with me. Lord, we are grateful for the wonderful cross. And we gather here, each of us, different stories, different paths that led us here this Friday evening, this Good Friday. But we stand in awe of the wonderful cross. We know what is wonderful to us was not wonderful for you. But Lord, you went willingly to the cross, to your death, because of your fierce love for each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for the wonderful cross. Thank you that we gather here now Lord, that we are invited to come as we are. And Lord, thank you that we are challenged to not leave how we came. And that's our prayer this evening, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would not leave here how we came. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. When I was 20 years old, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Italy. And you might imagine that was a, it was a pretty sweet gig. I really enjoyed it a lot. New culture, tons of amazing food. I even got to meet some, some new friends. And while I was in Italy, there was a Catholic priest that I became really close friends with. His name was, was Father of Ram. And he was a younger priest. He was studying in Italy and had been there for years. And he really took me under his wing. He mentored me during my time in Italy. And as, as that time was winding down, as my semester was drawing to a close, Father of Ram and I were sitting at a cafe and I informed him that the, the, the conclusion of my semester abroad was actually going to end with my parents coming out to visit me. And I was going to get to show them around and uh, give them the big grand tour of Italy and all the things that I'd been doing over there. And uh, I'd said, hey, hey, Padre, Father, I, uh, I've, never, 
you know, I've never got to do this with my parents before. They've never been to Italy before. They've never even left the United States before. So I, I really want to blow them away. I want to show them something really spectacular. I want to give them uh, an experience they'll never forget. And this priest looked at me with a big smile on his face. He said, I know exactly what you need to do. You need to take them to St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. Okay, that's a, that's a really good suggestion. It's, anyone been to St. Peter's before? Oh, yeah, fair number of us. Beautiful, incredible church, largest church in the world. It's a nexus point of history and art and culture. Absolutely incredible. It's kind of a tourist trap, too. Millions and millions of people from all over the world go to St. Peter's every single year. That wasn't quite the suggestion I was hoping for. And he could tell I was a little disappointed. But he looked at me with a big grin. He said, no, no, no. I want you to go to St. Peter's at night. And I want you to go there on a particular night at a particular time of day. And I want you to stand by a particular side entrance. this very heavily guarded and isolated side entrance to St. Peter's Cathedral. And I want you to wait. Oh. Okay, my interest is piqued. It's a little more Jason Bourne-esque than I expected, but okay, I'm, I'm intrigued. So my parents get into town, and we go on our mission. We go to St. Peter's Cathedral, and we're standing outside, and there it is at night. Absolutely beautiful. The tourists have left. The lines have died down. Security has closed up, shot, uh, closed up shop, and we see all of this, this beautiful edifice in front of us, and we're standing out there wondering, what in the world are we doing here? We do not belong. Well, across the courtyard, we see a monk walking towards us in brown robes, and he comes up to me. He doesn't say a word. So clandestine. He walks up to me, he hands me an envelope, and he points to this heavily guarded side entrance to St. Peter's Cathedral, and he walks away. And I open up this envelope, and inside there are three golden tickets. I'm not making this up, y'all. It's like we're going to see Willy Wonka. What is going on? Where are we going? Well, we take our three golden tickets, me, my mom, and my dad, and we walk over to this heavily secured entrance, and there they are, the Swiss guardsmen, Big, burly, the elite guardians of the Pope are standing there. They're wearing these silly striped pajamas, but these guys are tough because they, they look intimidating, even, what, even given what they're wearing. And I hand them these three tickets, and they snap to attention. And they put in secret codes in some secret door that opens up on the side. I'm not making this up. And they begin to escort us into St. Peter's Cathedral for what we're thinking is a private tour. And as we navigate through the hallways, past all the barricades, past all the walls, past all of the crazy things, uh, all the security that we can see and all of the security we know we can't see, we walk into the main hall of St. Peter's Basilica, St. Peter's Cathedral, and there's the Pope. There is Pope Benedict XVI, and he is officiating a private mass. And there's just a few dozen individuals there, and all of a sudden, the shock of where we are and who we're in front of hits us like a hammer. We don't belong here, but this is really cool. <laughs> this is really special. As we settle down, none of us are Catholic. We've never even been to a Catholic Mass before. I am acutely aware of how utterly special this moment is. For this moment in time, we are elite. I mean, this is VIP, MVP treatment. And here we are with a few dozen others. And as I'm reflecting that, here I am, a cannoli throw away from one of the most influential, one of the most powerful one of the most recognizable leaders in the entire world, as I am starstruck in this moment, I look over and I see my mom reach into her purse and pull out her camera. <laughs> as the flash goes off. Yep. <laughs> oh, no, it's not working. There we go. There's, uh, there's our, our uh, sneaky picture of the Pope that she took. As the flash goes off, 
everyone turns to look at us. Everyone takes notice of the awkward Americans who have absolutely no reason to be here whatsoever. And we feel like we've been completely found out. Fortunately, my mom was a trendsetter because of the moment after she took this photo, a group of nuns sitting in front of us took out their cameras and started snapping <laughs> photos too. And so we were saved. We didn't get kicked out. But there we were. We had the opportunity with a few dozen others to participate in a mass and to get to, uh, to experience something that was truly special. And as the evening wore down, as, as uh, the hour passed by, we were escorted out by the Swiss guards, past all the barriers, past all the obstacles, past all the security that we could see and we couldn't see. And we were back out in the courtyard, and my dad turned to me and said, so you do this often? <laughs> no, no, Dad, I can say I, I do not get to do this very often. This was special access. This was an elite moment. For that moment in time, we had access to something that millions of tourists all throughout Italy would have died to get to participate in. But then it was over. It was done. And we're back outside the walls. We're back outside the obstacles. We're back past everything that separated us from this person of prestige and influence and power. And we were normal again. We were three ordinary, awkward Americans hanging out in Rome. We were just like everyone else. It was a special moment, but it was just a moment. And for the longest, longest, longest time, that is exactly how the people of God related to God. You see, for the longest time, there were barriers, relational barriers and spiritual barriers that separated the people of God from God himself, from his presence. In fact, this is how it was in the time and the day and age when Jesus lived and ministered and died. You see, there was a temple. And the temple had three main areas to it. There was the outer courtyard, there was the holy place where the, the, more, the daily rituals and the daily sacrifices were made. But then there was the holy place. There was the holy of, holy of holies where the Shekinah glory of God, the dwelling glory of God was believed to be. This representative presence of God there in the holy of holies. And not just anyone could go into the holy of holies. You had to be special. You had to have the right rank. You had to be of the right class. You had to have the right training. There were all these rituals that built up to it. And even then, the high priest who was this individual who was allowed into the Holy of Holies one day of the year, and many of you know this, this is Yom Kippur. It takes place in September, still observed by the Jewish faithful today. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the high priest who had all the right connections and all the right class and all the right training and all the right rituals, he was allowed, he was truly elite and was allowed into the presence of God, what represented the very presence of God for one day, to make atoning sacrifice for all the people of God. But he couldn't just walk right in there. There was a barrier. There was a massive curtain that separated the holy place where the daily rituals took place and the holy of holies that only the high priest could enter into. This wasn't your living room drapery, right? These weren't the curtains from your bedroom. This was a massive barrier that separated the people of God from the presence of God. This curtain was 60 feet tall. If you look up, call it 30 times, three times or so, the height of the ceiling that's above most of you right now, 60 feet tall. It wasn't just really tall, it was really wide. It was 30 feet across, about, the, about as wide as the stage is right here. And depending on who you ask, it was about a hand's length to a forearm's length thick. This curtain was massive. It was gargantuan. It took 300 of the priests to move it through brute force and a system of pulleys to hang it up. Truly massive, truly foreboding, truly a barrier. And this curtain separated the people of God from the presence of God 
except for one day of the year when one person had special elite access. We, we live in a world of barriers. We're, we're pretty familiar with barriers. We're, we're inside barriers right now. There's a building around us. We're wearing clothing. I'm grateful that you're wearing clothing here tonight. Those are barriers that we are living in. We're acutely aware of barriers. I'm going to go on a limb to say that almost all of us are going to go home tonight. We're going to close a door. As we go to bed, we're going to lock that door. Barriers provide protection. Barriers provide familiarity for us. We live in a world filled with barriers. Did you know that a long, long, long time ago, once upon a time, there were no barriers that separated us from each other or from God? We had a reading about a garden earlier, but way back before the garden that Jesus was praying in, there was another garden. There was another garden that God had created. And he had created the world, he created the cosmos, and it was good, it was good. But then he created man, he created woman, he created us, he created his children, and it was very good. The crowning achievement of all of creation. And there was no barrier separating the people of God from God himself. He walked in the garden with them daily. And we're so acutely accustomed to barriers that we take for granted. We can't even imagine what it would be like to have that type of intimacy, that type of closeness and affinity to God. Prayers instantly responded to and answered. Uh, an ironclad certainty in your relationship with God. Is God there? Does God care? That question that sneaks into our consciousness at three in the morning, we wake up in a cold sweat, wondering what is my purpose? What is my meaning? What am I supposed to be doing? Wouldn't have existed in the first garden. There was no barrier between God and his people until this thing called sin happened. This rebellion against God, this saying, no, God, we actually prefer separation from you compared to intimacy and closeness with you. This thing called sin, uh, it's a churchy word, it's a Bible word, it's a word that Jesus used all the time, and it, it means broken relationship, that the fundamental relationship between man and God, and man and woman, broke down, and all of a sudden, barriers rose up. We even see this, Genesis 3.8 says this, Then the man and his wife, who had just sinned, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why? They were ashamed. They were ashamed. Their sin had created a barrier between them and God. They saw themselves as they were. They saw the separation between themselves and God. And shame causes us to hide in the same way it caused them to hide. And all of a sudden, there's a barrier between the people of God and God. And not only that, there's a barrier that's created by shame, but it's a barrier created by pride. We see so sadly in these first few chapters, we see the first breakdown of relationship between people. It's not my fault. It's, 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 it's the snake's fault. It's the tempter's fault. It, it wasn't me, God. I'm going to point fingers and blame. Well, God, it certainly wasn't me. It was the woman's fault. And you know what? You're the one who created your, her. So doesn't that make it your fault? Barriers of shame and barriers of pride spring up into existence, and all of a sudden, there's a separation where there was once intimacy and closeness. The people of God are separated from the presence of God. Now, God in his grace and God in his love, it doesn't stop there. God does something. He does something to break down barriers, to begin the process of breaking down barriers. He makes a sacrifice. And anyone here who's ever experienced a barrier in your marriage, in your workplace, in your family, you know that barriers are broken down through sacrifice. And we see God taking the first step, as he always does, to overcome this barrier of separation 
and sin and shame and pride. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He covered them. He covered their shame, and he covered their pride. And we see blood spilt in sacrifice for the first time to overcome a barrier. Now, a trajectory gets started here where people, men and women just like you and me, experience and navigate this separation from God. And we see shadows. We see individuals who for a moment, for a time, have access to God, to his presence. But it's, it's fleeting. It's not perfect. It's not complete. We see a system of sacrifices rise up throughout the Old Testament. Bulls and goats being killed because sacrifice is required for the covering up of sin. But it was never enough. We know it wasn't enough because the Bible explains very clearly that it wasn't enough. Hebrews 10 says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's not enough. Otherwise, they would, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Separation, barriers, require sacrifice. But all the sacrifices from the first one in the garden through all of the Old Testament, through all of human history, all the sacrifices that were made were shadows of the substance that was, to, that was to come. They pointed to our desperate need for someone to break down this barrier between God's people and the presence of God. And so we fast forward. We fast forward from one garden to another garden where there's another temptation. There's another wrestling of this thing of relationship and intimacy. There's opportunities to respond in shame Say, no, I don't want to do this. I don't need to do this. I can't, I can't do this and to run and to hide. There's a temptation for Jesus in the garden to do just that. It's a temptation of pride. Why me? I've done nothing wrong. It's the world. It's these other people. He could have built more barriers of shame and pride, more barriers that separate us from God. But Jesus was tempted just like we are. But he did not sin. He did not sin. He said, not my will be done, but yours, Father. I trust you. I love you. And I will go wherever you lead me, and I will do whatever you ask me to do. And we see that on the cross. We see Jesus betrayed. We see him tortured. We see him put to death. We see all the shadows of the Old Testament pointing to this one moment on the cross. And it says this, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The barrier that once separated the people of God from the presence of God is no more. has been ripped apart. And it's been done from top to bottom. See, it was a barrier that required human intervention because only a human could tear down a barrier built by other humans, but only God could tear down a barrier so large. 
and we see on the cross Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, coming together and obliterating the barrier between us and God. That's why, the temp- that's why the curtain was torn from top to bottom, showing us this is a work of God himself. This was a sacrifice of God himself for me and for you. And this is the good news of Good Friday. This is the good news of why we gather here because of what this says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus and nothing else. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. Jesus was torn to tear down the barrier between God's people and the presence of God. That's why this is Good Friday. That's why we are gathered here. We have elite access now, you and me, because of the blood of Jesus. We have access to the God of the universe because Jesus was torn to tear down this barrier. Right? This isn't, this isn't access to that celebrity or that leader or that millionaire, billionaire, business person, that actor that you would die to be near, that you would brag for the rest of your life. You can see, this isn't access to the Pope. This is the God of the universe and the one who makes every single other leader and celebrity person we long to have access to look like stacking a firefly next to the burning incandescent radiance of the sun. That is the good news of Good Friday. That is who you have access to. That's who we have access to because of Jesus Christ. And as we wind down, I want to ask you a question. What's holding you back? The curtain's torn. There's nothing left. (laughs) When you came in, you were asked to grab one of these pieces of fabric. If you uh, happen to grab one, you can pull that out now. This is representative. This little scrap of dingy fabric. You want to know what this is? This is the scrap. This is a scrap of the curtain. There's nothing left. There's no barrier between us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. There's no need for additional sacrifices. There's no need for additional proving. The cost has been paid in full for me and for you. There's just scraps left over. But man, we hold on to scraps, don't we? Whether out of shame or out of pride, we love to hold on to these scraps. We're curtain certain because we get barriers. I get barriers. I get the existence of barriers. I feel safe. I feel protected. I feel like I'm not vulnerable. And as long as I'm holding on to this scrap, well, then I don't have to be fully known by God or by other people. And so in my shame or in my pride, I hold on to scraps of cloth I hold on to this imaginary barrier between me and God. And I wonder if you ever do the same. Hear me loudly, loudly and clearly. Shame and pride are the brick and mortar of the most isolating barrier you will ever experience. In this life or the next, barriers created from sin, from places of shame and pride, rob you of access to God himself. You are elite. You are VIP. Now and for all of eternity because of what Jesus did. 
I want to ask you, what, what are you holding on to? Is it shame? God, there's, there's no way that I could ever have a real, vulnerable, intimate relationship with you. I, I know what I've done. I know what I've done in the past. I know what I'll probably do in the future. God, I know what I've done today, Good Friday. I know the things I've said. I know the things I've, saw, I've thought. I know the things I've looked at and the lies I've told. I know myself, and I am ashamed. I could never, never deserve to stand in the presence of the living God. You want to know what? You're exactly right. You could never deserve to do that. But you are invited to come as you are because of Jesus Christ. Shame has no place at the foot of the cross. Shame has no place in light of the ferocious love of God. Whatever you've done, whatever shame you're holding on to has no place before God. He knew it from eternity past before you were created, and he knew it from eternity future before you did these things. He knew it, or after you've done these things, God looks at you with love and invitation. Shame has no place at the foot of the cross because of the love of Jesus. Some of us are holding on to pride. I, I confess, this is where I usually find myself. I'm a pastor. I do good things. I, I, I'm not out there kicking puppies. I'm not out there being cruel and malicious. I'm not shooting people. I'm not mean. Too often. <laughs> I'm a conventionally decent person to borrow from Dwayne, one of our other pastors. <sighs> I'm a conventionally decent person. And you want to know where the conventionally decent people were the day Jesus was crucified? <laughs> they were standing around the cross. <laughs> that's where the chief priests, that's where the Pharisees, that's where the legalists were. That's where the conventionally decent people were. And I like to imagine when the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, because by the way, it happened at 3 p.m., which just coincidentally happens to be the time of the daily sacrifice. All the important people would have been at the crucifixion. And there's some Jewish priest intern named Frank who's there watching this happen and watching this, the least qualified, the least deserving, because he's not even allowed to leave the temple at this point, but he's the one who gets to see the temple curtain torn in two from top to bottom. Pride has no place at the foot of the cross. Pride has no place in our approach to God. You can think with your pride and your good deeds and your good works in the same way that I do, that I can tear into that curtain, and I'll tell you what, you won't make a dent. <laughs> you won't even make a dent with this. Pride has no place at the foot of the cross. But here is the good news. As you reflect on what you are holding on to, as you wrestle with this question, you're still invited, as you are. You're invited to come and trust in Jesus. You're invited to come and be in relationship with Jesus because of the cross, because of his great love for you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his disciples. He gathered with people who were shameful. He gathered with people who were prideful. He gathered with people who were moments away from betraying him to death and abandonment. And you want to know what he called them? He called them friends. He called them his friends. 
He said, no greater love does a man have than this to lay down his life for his friends. That's what he did. That's what he calls you, no matter what you're holding on to. The shame you feel, the pride you're holding on to, he calls you his friends. The night he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said to them, this bread is my body broken for you. When you, when you eat this, when you taste this, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember that you are my friends and I love you. In the same way, he took the cup and gave thanks. As he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. When you drink this, when you taste this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. He calls you friends. Jesus was torn to tear down every single barrier that could ever separate you from the presence of God. And that's what we get to celebrate tonight. Because as we come to this table, as we gather on Good Friday, it's bittersweet. We reflect on the death of Jesus. But how in the world can we gather at this table and not feel gratitude and joy that even we are called to be here. Shame or pride, whatever you're holding on to, I, I encourage you to, to lay those down before you come to this table. All you need is faith in Jesus and faith in Jesus alone. Hands completely empty before him and a heart full of trust in his goodness that he has done it all on the cross this table is for people who have faith in him. And if you have never said or prayed, Jesus, I believe. I believe. I believe in you as my Savior. I believe that you were torn down to tear down. You were torn to tear down every barrier between me and God. Tonight is a good night to do it. No better weekend in the whole year. I promise you that. You are VIP. You are elite. You have access, not just for a moment, but for all eternity because of God's ferocious, unstoppable love for you. So I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I'm going to invite those who are serving to come forward. And before you come forward, and while I'm praying, I'm going to invite you to reflect for a moment. What are you holding on to? What, what's that scrap of cloth? Is it shame? Is it pride? Is it bitterness? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Before you come up here, I encourage you to drop it. I invite you to drop it and leave it behind. We have a great janitorial staff here at, your, at Deer Creek. They'll make sure it gets cleaned up. Don't you worry about it. I want to invite you to come open-handed to feast on Jesus. Now, the way we're going to do this is uh, when I invite you forward after I pray, you'll move to your left. Everyone will move to your left, and you'll come forward, and you'll see four stations up here, one uh, at the head of each of these rows. And you'll tear a piece of bread, and you'll dip it into a cup, one with a bracelet, that's wine, or one without that's juice. We also have gluten-free crackers up here, if that's a, a need for you. And as you feast on Jesus, you'll head back to your seats after that, and we'll close up. But there's an invitation here for ordinary, common folk, just like me and just like you, to come as you are and to be with God. Pray with me. Father, thank you that we are invited to come as we are, full of shame, full of pride, 
full of fear, full of doubt. Lord, I confess I have no right to stand here at this table because of my righteousness or because of anything that I have done, God. In fact, the opposite is true. I, I deserve to be far from you, Lord, but because of the cross, because of your great love, I am not consumed. Lord, we are not consumed, but instead we, in fact, are invited. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the feast that you invite your friends to. Thank you that you loved us so much that you laid down your life for your friends. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.